Hello, welcome to another episode of Politics and Pop Culture with Sierra. And Chris, today is Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. Sierra, how are you feeling this morning? I am feeling great, happy and blessed to be alive, excited to see what today has in store. How about you? I'm good. I woke up, I had some really good sleep last night and it's very bright. Is it bright in Michigan or is it still a little gloomy? It's all right. It's all right. The I sun's was... peeking out. Yeah, the sun is like beaming today. So I'm excited. Have you already started your voting process? I have my ballot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm waiting for, but I have it and I'm going to drop it off right at my clerk's office. So I'm not like pressed, but yeah. it's here. I love that. I went yesterday to go do my in-person voting and they were like, oh, we don't do early voting here. You have to wait till election day. So I'm trying to figure out what my alternatives are because I thought you had to vote at the actual polling place that they give you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know if early voting is a possibility for me. So I'm kind of unsure of what to do next. But as we're always just saying, everyone, make a voting plan, figure it yeah. out, make sure you're have, voting. And have a backup plan. And have a backup plan because that's what yeah. I'm about to do right now. So yeah. I, I saw on Rachel Maddow that like millions of people have already voted. So that is a great sign. It is. Yeah, let's get into politics, shall we? Yes, please. So what do we have on the Trump front? President Trump says he has ordered his negotiators to stop discussing a new stimulus deal until after the election. His announcement sent stocks plunging and sparked new uncertainty among people in particularly hard hit industries like airlines. While Congress has butted heads for months over stimulus proposal, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasurer Secretary Steven Muchin seem to be mounting a strong new effort to get a deal done soon. Now, experts warn of what may happen to the economy with further aid still on hold. Meanwhile, Stephen Miller, a top Trump policy advisor, is the latest White House official to test positive for coronavirus. The White House said it has completed all contact tracing for positive COVID-19 cases among its ranks, but given the confusing and some Sometimes contradictory information released by the administration about the recent outbreak, doubt remains. And then Trump sent out a tweet saying like, I am ready to start stimulus talks. Get Nancy on the phone. So really? He backpedaled? He backpedaled? Yes. Okay. Oh, this is, oh my God. This administration is a mess. Um, I think for him to say, do not continue negotiating still after the election would make him lose voters. I don't know who would look at that and be like, oh, I'm voting for Trump now. Like people want their stimulus, people want help, schools need it. People think that the stimulus relief packages are just $1,200 checks, but there's also like small business loans and things that are available. Billions of dollars going into education for PPE. It's, it's not just we all get $1,200 or those who make less than $100,000 a year. It's so much more. So the fact that he's stopping that, that makes him look even worse. And because people need help, People are struggling, like unemployment is cut and people are struggling. So yeah. they need to do something about the stimulus release, relief as soon as possible. And any of that talk of like stopping those negotiations and prolonging them is only gonna work in his detriment. It's not gonna work in his favor whatsoever. I agree. It's just the privilege and the power, man. It's just trippy how, you know, President Trump and everyone who works in the White House, everyone who works in the government 
they have like top notch healthcare, right. you know, rich people, rich, wealthy people who have good healthcare, they're not dying at the same droves as poor people who are uninsured, you know, there is a disparity there. And so I don't know how you could have such great healthcare and not want that for all Americans or not want to help all Americans out in any way, little or small that you can. It's just, I don't like it. It doesn't sit well with me, but I'm going to breathe and we're going to move on. We're going to move on and we're going to be okay. And I was, I w recently watched Michelle Obama's endorsement video. She just released a video on Joe Biden's YouTube channel endorsing President Trump. I'm sorry, endorsing Joe Biden to beat President uh -huh. Trump. My yeah. apologies. And she said, one of the things she said in the video was how Trump is really interested in just like his group of people pushing them forward. He doesn't care for all Americans. So she only echoed your point. And that, that, that sentiment is being reflected in his behavior when we see the lack of um, collaboration on the other side of the eye, when we see the lack of concern for all Americans. I think he's more concerned with getting his U.S. Supreme Court justice nominee in more than stimulus. And I, it's funny yeah. because I remember when the stimulus conversation was like the, the leading conversation in politics. And that's what everyone was talking about. And then it became, oh, mail-in ballots. So then that became the thing. And then there was like all these allegations of news uh, post offices being shut down and people taking mailboxes and putting them in trucks. So then that became the center of the conversation. Now it's like the Supreme Court justice. And it's just like, we have to make sure we're focusing on everyday Americans, make sure that they have yeah. what they need. That needs to be priority number one. And it hasn't been for quite some time. And it's just like, my whole thing is like, if you really try and look at the end goal of this administration, what does that look like if, you know, you're undermining elections, essentially you want to push a new Supreme Court justice because she thinks that Obamacare is unconstitutional, therefore that would uninsure millions of Americans so they won't have health care during this pandemic, and so then people are going to get sick and the worst is going to happen. Like that's just where I'm, I don't understand how good is coming out of any of these policies that are happening now. Um, and, but the thing is, is that a lot of people are still fans of Trump. So, you know, there are some people who are uninsured, who, you know, aren't really thriving economically, but they are still supporters and fans of Trump because of who he is. So I also think that's an interesting perspective uh, just to keep in mind. I agree. I, I don't know what we're, there's nothing that can be said or done to Trump supporters that will make him lose his base. I think they're very solid, they're very loyal. So I always tell people the conversation isn't, can we get Trump voters to convert to Biden supporters? It's getting and energizing the millions of Americans that don't vote, that aren't engaged in the politics, energizing them in the same way that Obama did back in 2008 and 2012. That's how you win. I don't think you win by trying to convert Trump supporters, you win by energizing and mobilizing non-voters. So yeah. we'll see how that happens. Speaking of things going on in the White House, the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris is tonight. And I'm excited for it. I think it takes place in Salt Lake City, Utah. If that's correct, I'm having technical difficulties, so I don't have my notes. Mm -hmm. But um, the debate is tonight between Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris. Sierra, what do you think we can look forward to in tonight's debate? Oh, I don't no, just so much. I'm sure Pence is going to go after uh, Kamala's record, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, we're moving on, okay? And she could, I just wonder if Kamala is going to go high or if she's going to, you know, 
pull out all the stops, you know, really defend herself, really, um, you know, get into pens, or is she gonna take the high approach, you know, and just be like, we are the better people. So we'll see how that pans out. They will be surrounded by pexiglass, which I think is important. And I think a lot of people on the Trump side are like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, then again, your privilege is showing, you know, you're not scared of getting COVID because you have top-notch doctors, so you don't need the pexiglass. But what does that say to the rest of America? Like, you guys are the leaders. You guys need to show and put on a good a good front, at least, if you don't believe it. But um, I hope it's it's good. I hope it's good, but I'm nervous because I also feel like there's such a high expectation for Kamala Harris. And I, when you put anybody on a pedestal, I just, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm sure she'll meet the standard, but it just makes me nervous. I definitely feel you on that. I'm also interested to see like, the, like again, the tactics, because I think we look at Kamala Harris's debate style, it's more so one lines and more so punches. Mm-hmm. And I hope if, I think if Mike Pence just stays on policy and history, we have to be objective here, where I feel like Kamala Harris can be severely unprincipled in a lot of her politics, where sometimes we'll see her swap and flip sides. For example, like she literally has a criminal uh, prosecuting record of prosecuting people who have marijuana charges and you go in the breakfast club and literally laugh about it and say that you smoked weed and inhale. So that's a difference in principles there. So I feel like if we start looking at history and start looking at record, Kamala Harris, that's her biggest weakness. So if Pence just stays consistent and just hits on history and record, mm-hmm. he's going to win because even the biggest moment of Kamala Harris's primary debate was when she talked about busing. And when you actually look no. more in depth, Joe Biden was again. responsible for busing. Well, when you look at the big thing that Joe, that, Kamala Harris really hit on in the primary debate was the whole idea of busing. That was like her one line hit that really got her mm-hmm. up there in like the upper echelon part of the primary debates. When, when you actually mm-hmm. look at that issue and look at that, go and do the details, Joe Biden really wasn't involved in busing, like how she tried to paint it as it wasn't factual. It was more so just a one line hit to make her look good. So I'm saying like with Pence, I don't know how you can do those one-line hits trying to be cool because you have to bring the facts. Like no one yeah. cares about feelings. Yeah. And there's no audience and crowd that's going to cheer you on and say, woo, 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 woo. Mm-hmm. When you are doing this debate, you have to make sure you're hitting on policies, principles, and facts. And I yeah. think that's Kamala Harris's biggest weakness. And that's one of the biggest things I'm concerned with in regards to her debate performance tonight. She just needs to just stick to COVID, girl, because Mike Pence was leading that task force and it's a mess. So I think that's going to be, I think her team even said like, that's really what she's going to be driving home at this debate as she should. That's now, you know what I mean? That's now. And Kamala Harris as a Senator, I think is different than her as a prosecutor. Um, So we shall see. I'm here for it. I'm ready. Me too. I just hope that she's ready. And I also would like to even pose the question where if there wasn't a coronavirus, I think Trump would have got reelected easily because you see there's nothing really compelling on the Democrat side for um, policy wise. Like we're really only voting for them because of the anti-coronavirus thing. So people, we know people are dying. You can be very, very um, open-minded to certain issues, but you can't denounce, diminish, or deny deaths happening in America. Right. So I feel like the only thing that the Democrats are really able to ride on is the coronavirus, where I would like to see, like, if there was no coronavirus, what would Joe Biden and what would all of them really have to stand on against President Trump? Because one thing that President Trump really runs on is the economy, because again, you can't diminish, deny facts, figures, and numbers. When we look at the unemployment rate being lowest as ever had, Black unemployment being as low as it's ever been, 
um, that rings with a lot of people. Like we want numbers, you need facts. So you're correcting your assessment of just focus on the coronavirus, where if there wasn't a virus, I think Trump would have got elected easily. I'll just change the topic really quickly onto um, pop culture. Kelly Rowland is pregnant with baby number two. And she said she is knocking on 40's door. And I think, you know, there's a lot of science and facts that say, you know, women uh, above the age of 35 have a harder time of getting pregnant. But I've also read studies that, you know, it totally depends on your lifestyle and your uterus. Um, so it's not like out of the question, you know, women have children in there. Um, congratulations to her. I'm excited for her to have another baby. Her and Beyonce, the aunties. The mommies. And that's her second child? Yes, yeah. it is her second child because she has that little boy, Tyson. Ty Titan. 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 Yes. Titan. Yes, 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 yes. So I just um, to I'll be interested to see how that Titan. pregnancy goes. It's great to see that people are having babies at different ages. I remember Kenya Moore had a child when she was in her 40s. Um, I think Halle Berry had a child when she was in her 40s. Like, it's a new day. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for Kelly Rowland to be able to um, express that and show that, it's really, really exciting. Um, Do it. Keep it pushing. I love that. In other news, did you hear that Mindy Kaling and Reese Witherspoon are teaming up for Legally Blonde 3? What are your thoughts on Legally Blonde 3? <laughs> I hope it's not called Legally Blonde 3. Are you serious? What I else mean, would it be called? I don't know, but remember they had another Legally Blonde spinoff with the twins? No. I didn't hear about that at all. Well, there is another Legally Blonde where like twin blonde girls went to school or something. But I'm excited. I love Mindy Kaling. I'm kind of over the reboot culture, but I'm also, again, here for like the nostalgia atmosphere, but I'm just over reboots. Like we have so much young, fresh talent. Um, and of course that talent could be used for a reboot, but it also could be used for a fresh new show. I want a fresh new show. I want new stuff that in 20 years will be nostalgia for the next generation. You know what I mean? But I'm going to watch it and I'm sure it's going to be good. Reese Witherspoon does not do flops with her production company, Hello Sunshine. She has a great track record. So it's going to be good. I think it will be too. I, I, I think there's ways where you can take something that's really iconic and do it again and make it fresh. I don't know if we've seen that on display. I can't think of any show that has done it successfully. I think maybe like Raven's Home was cool from That's So Raven. But oh, yes, then, I love Raven's Home. We can see the drastic decrease in budget compared to like That's So Raven, which was like, oh, remember the episode where she was like in the stomach on Disney and like, yeah, like that was and a high budget also, episode. It's, it's also a difference in talent. I don't know what it was, but in like that whole Raven and the shows that were on during that time, not to change the topic, but they were older, they were older mature people or teenagers or young adults portraying high schoolers. So Eddie, Chelsea, like they were comedians, you know what I mean? Right, like right. they been around the block, like they had and honed their craft and that really showed in the show, like they were professionals. Whereas in like Raven's Home and a lot of the shows now where you have kid actors kind of like this is their first job, like yes, the kids are extremely talented but it's not as seasoned the play isn't as fresh as it was with older people playing kids but I like that reboot 
but I can't think of any other reboots that have done it well. I'm also trying to think of a good one that I like. So they have their work cut out for them. Um, I know Mindy Kaling's talented. I know Reese Witherspoon's talented. Hopefully she'll be like, since it's female written, I'm hoping that Reese will really take executive producer role in the film because I know if it comes from her, we know it'll be good. Um, mm -hmm. And they, I hope they keep the budget up. Uh, Legally Blonde One, which is really, really iconic. Bend and Snap is a cultural phenomenon. Uh, even Thank You Next, the Ariana Grande music video, like played homage to Legally Blonde. The so fashion, if they're gonna do it, do it right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And what else uh, do we have? In other news, rapper Megan Thee Stallion used her performance on Saturday Night Live over the weekend to send a harsh message to Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. We talked about this on the show. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, Daniel Cameron is no different than the sellout Negroes that sold our people out to slavery. On Tuesday, Daniel Cameron lashed back at the performer, lambasting her for calling him out in the live performance. He quote, the fact that someone would get on national television and make disparaging comments about me because I'm simply trying to do my job is disgusting. Cameron said on Fox and Friends, incorrectly attributing the words to the rapper herself and not Mallory. Megan Thee performance came two weeks after the grand jury in Jefferson County, Kentucky, decided not to indict the Louisville officers who fatally shot Breonna Taylor in her apartment in March, leading to her death. What do you have to say about Daniel Cameron clapping back at Megan Thee for her performance on Saturday Night Live? I watched the clip. I don't know if it was necessarily a clap back, uh, but he was really being political about it. And, you know, he went on to say, like, I understand her using this platform to, you know, voice her beliefs and her opinions. And he was like, I get this every day as a Black Republican. Like, this is what I get constantly since this has happened. And so, what I haven't done my due diligence in doing is what is the next step now? You know what I mean? Like we can keep on posting about Daniel Cameron and the case. We should keep Breonna Taylor's name and this case fresh in our minds. Like we shouldn't forget, but what is our next step actions um, to this circumstance? That's kind of what I'm deliberating on. It's going to take some real infrastructural change for something yes. to occur. And that's what we're kind of missing. Like we can do, like you said, we can do the hashtags, we can protest, but it's, it's the work is still need to be done. Like somebody really needs to say something like, yo, we have an issue here. We need to have a conversation about policing in this um, country because black people are really being shot down, killed. Black lives do matter. I'm not with the whole neo-Marxist idea of black lives matter, how they kind of just want to overthrow the government. That's why I don't wear the t-shirt or like use that uh, phrase often. But there's no denying the implication that Black lives do matter. You cannot just senselessly kill Black people with the police. And I think that that conversation still needs to be had. It's not being had enough because if it was, she would have gotten justice and she did it because that woman is dead and her killer is out on the street. And that's unacceptable. And I, when we talk about... Uh overthrowing the government. I started going back and reading, you know, America's founding documents. And I definitely recommend doing that. Because if you read Common Sense by Thomas Paine and his reasoning and justification for the American colonies to break away from the King's constitution mm -hmm. and just him debunking everything wrong with the British government and that constitution and how the checks and balances system system wasn't working over there. It is very, 
the wording and his common sense that he's justifying is very similar and rings true to what people are feeling right now with our government today, how the checks and balances just really isn't working and how everyone in power has, you know, could become, has potential to become corrupted and a skewed vision of who they're really working for. And so if you look back to that document from 1775-76, and it can be mirrored to what is happening today. And so I think it is, what's happening is human nature. You know, buildings change, technology changes, style changes, but human behavior, you know, stays the same. You know, emotions, greed, it's still the same as it was 200 years ago, 400 years ago. So definitely read those documents, just read in general, and you just will get to know and understand human behavior at another level. So this whole abolishing the government, it has been done. That's what our founding fathers did. You know what I mean? Um, they envisioned a new system. They rebuked and went to war against an old government that wasn't working for them. You know, it's still working for the British, but it wasn't working for these new ideals, these new men who wanted a new government. And so it's happened before, you know, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, it can't be done, but it has happened with with scholars, with writers, with people who were versed in policy and rewriting policy. And we do have those people today. And so let's really push all of these activists to the forefront, the lawyers and the emotional and artist activists and create an infrastructure. Yeah, because I, I think our government can be a little antiquated. I, I think you raised some really good points that I never really thought about is how um, like even Marianne Williamson said that during her campaign, her short-lived campaign, is how um, there's a lot that is changing in regards to like technology, but there's a lot about the soul and the humans that really stays the same. So I feel like you maybe there should be some conversation about innovation in regards to politics and government and doing some infrastructure restructuring, if that <laughs> makes sense. I yeah. completely agree. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up here, do you have any positive thing you would like to say to the people to wrap us up? Um just say to read let's end with there read find some articles there's a bunch of feel-good articles out read whatever you're interested in the moment whatever you're curious about you know google's a fantastic thing um i have a great public library read read again annotate bring in a friend, expand your mind any way that's possible. Just learn, continue your research, continue your knowledge and help, you know, work out those brain muscles. Amen. Intellectual fitness is the best fitness you can do. I believe in that. Yes. Well, this was really good, Sierra. This was fantastic. Hey, it's such a pleasure talking to you, Chris. We are here Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the YouTubes. And, and on the podcast and on Spotify. And we've just hit 10 episodes, y'all. We are moving. This is episode number 11. We're mm -hmm. making it happen. We appreciate the support, the conversation, and we're just going to keep taking it up. Yes, yes. Thank you guys so much for watching another episode of Politics and Pop Culture with Sierra. And Chris, thanks so much for watching. Bye.